Melissa Benoist strikes a new pose. Owen Yeoman praises the pilot. And we talk Supergirl Candor. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And I'm Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're joined by our special guest, Ian Boucher, to help us discuss the trade paperback, Supergirl Candor. But first up, we have... The News. On April 10th, superwomenmania.com posted a behind-the-scenes picture of Melissa Benoist standing in an office in her Supergirl costume. Uh, The image gives us a new head-to-toe look from the top of the cape down to her red boots. Uh, I love this picture. Uh, What are your thoughts on the picture, Ian? Well, the first thing I think of is I I think she is just a fantastic choice for the character. Uh, She just gives off the the vibe of Kara for me. And the other thing that really stood out to me, I don't know if it's just the quality of the picture in the distance, but my my problem with pre- the previous pictures released was I felt like the shield kind of looked like it was pressed onto the shirt. Is it because the, uh, the color's sort of inverted, like there's no yellow behind it, like it doesn't stand out as much? No, it just looks like a temporary tattoo that was put on the shirt. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But in but in this new picture, I don't know if it was just the distance or the quality of the picture, but it, it looked a, a little bit more of a substantial S-shield to me, and I like that a lot. Yeah, the S-shield does look better, and I think it's really interesting. I was actually talking to Andy from the Flash podcast when this popped up, because he was like, oh my gosh, new picture! <laughs> and uh, he noticed, before I did, that the sleeves like she almost has <laughs> it sort of looks like stirrup pants to me uh where there's like a little thing but obviously on the hands not on the feet right right yeah um but there's like something that goes around her fingers on the hands so i guess there's something there that holds the sleeve in place so i guess when she's flying on a harness or whatever like the sleeves don't fall down or crumple up or something. So I thought that was really interesting that she has something to hold those sleeves sleeves up so they're, you know, perfect any anytime she's doing anything. Yeah, and no, I actually love that. And I, lo- I love just the look of that in general. I, I really liked how lived in the costume looks. Um, and yeah. maybe it was just the, you know, the colors look a little different. They popped a little better in the second photo. But it looks like even though she's wearing like a cape and boots, it still looks like something she'd just be walking around in casually, yes. you know, which, which I really like. It felt very real to me. And I think it'll fit in with if they ever actually if they do a crossover uh, I think it would fit in with those other costumes too it would complement them well yes that's very true we're still we still have our fingers crossed for that (laughs) well we have two bits of interview news Uh, the first is from Owen Yeoman 
He talked to Yahoo.com about CBS's Supergirl pilot and his role as Vartox, saying, quote, at the moment, it's something I can't really talk about an awful lot. I've just signed on for the pilot. I guess there's always the potential that a character could come back, end quote. And I was sort of shocked by that because I, I didn't know if he was going to be in the pilot or if they were casting for other episodes or whatever. But it sounds like Vartox is going to be in the pilot with Lumberjack as well. So I don't know how many villains they're going to try to <laughs> put in there. But and then, you know, it, there's always the potential that a character could come back. So is it like, ju- is he just there for the pilot? And then he is not? <laughs> Did he just accidentally give away a spoiler? Like, what? what is happening? I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. So Vartox may or may not have an important part in the series <laughs> at the beginning. Did um, they say how long the pilot's going to be yet? How long in terms of, yeah. like, running time? Yeah, is it going to be longer than a regular episode? I would assume it's the regular one hour, uh, 42, 44 minutes, actually. Uh, So we'll see what role Vartox will actually have to play in this. Because uh, from what I've understood about Vartox is how would he come into play in terms of being on Earth? That's what I'm really curious about. How, How would he interact with Kara and find out about her? What would be really awesome is if he were a lumberjack. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, <laughs> mic drop. Teresa out. <laughs> it's the same dude. It's been the same dude all along. I'm calling it right now. That's a good crackpot theory. We'll see if that, we'll see if that pans out. Nice. Thanks for calling me a crackpot. Hey, hey, I'm just saying that it's a theory that is kind of out there, but could kind of be plausible. It's it's a theory that's not real. No, it's it's true. I I, I get it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Supergirl is already established as a hero, because um, it seems like if she's not, they have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, maybe if she is already established as a hero, then as a costumed hero, maybe Bartox, you know, is aware of her because if she's in the news or anything like that. Well. Owen Yeoman also went on to say, quote, I will say the scope of the Supergirl pilot was incredible. I've personally never been involved in something with such a huge production value and scope. Glenn Winter, the director, is doing incredible things with it, and I really feel like people who are fans of not just the Supergirl world, but the whole Superman franchise, will be really, really thrilled with this. It genuinely felt like we were shooting a movie, end quote. So big words from uh, Owen Yeoman there about what the pilot might look like. It sounds like it's going to be awesome. Everything I've heard about this uh, pilot so far has been positive from everyone involved. And obviously there's a certain amount of, you know, marketing that's being done right now. But I don't know. It just all sounds really promising. I'm excited. Yeah. And I'm a big fan fan of Glenn Winter. And I'm sure he's done incredible things and making everything look good and making Supergirl look good. So I'm excited to see what he's done with it. Absolutely. And at the premiere for The Longest Ride, Access Hollywood asked Melissa Benoist about her Supergirl role. Melissa said, quote, I'm playing a superhero and it's the journey of her finding out her powers and her abilities and realizing her true potential, end quote. And I thought it was funny that the interviewer sort of maybe acted like she didn't know who Supergirl was. It was kind of like she was confused by it. So that sort of made me laugh. But the other thing that I sort of gravitated towards and kind of my ears perked up is that when Melissa Benoist talked about her character, she called her Kara instead of Kara, much like how the name was uh, spoken in Supergirl the movie. 
And of course, we've heard the DCAU and Smallville say Kara. So I was really surprised by the Kara pronunciation. So any thoughts on that? Do you think we'll uh, hear her say or hear her called Kara in the show? I kind of like and prefer Kara just because it's kind of like it reminds us that she's not of this world. Mm. You know, like, it. I mean, obviously, Kara is a name people can have here. But I mean, it sounds more regal and more ethereal like it's a name to pay attention to when it's Kara any thoughts Ian do you, when, when, no, you, I, when you read a Supergirl comic do you call her Kara or Kara I, I, I think of, of Kara but I was also the kid that when I saw the word subtle I pronounced it subtle in my head <laughs> so I might not be the best source on that but I, I do <laughs> I do think of Kara when I'm reading but um, I think Teresa makes an excellent point about Kara and and I, I think different pronunciations can be really cool. Like, even though Ra's al Ghul isn't the correct pronunciation, I still say Ra's al Ghul. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, oh, that really annoys me on, uh, on Arrow. It's kind of interesting how, like, the people in the League of Assassins say Raish, and Oliver can't bring himself to say Raish ever. It's always Ra's al Ghul. And I'm like... Come on. Like, you've been around this long enough. Like, learn how to pronounce the guy's ra- name right if you're going to fight him. And, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if something will be similar to the Supergirl series where, like, the Kryptonian people will call her Kara. And then she'll come to Earth and we'll, we'll all be like, hey, Kara. You know? Like, <laughs> like I care. I uh, yeah, care. I don't know if it'll be that kind of thing as well. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that would be such a great uh, statement just on... Um, the experiences of people visiting overseas in general. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Except and for, um, like, Jimmy Olsen, uh, or James Olsen will call her Kara because he'll be like, I understand. I'm James, and you're Kara. <laughs> yes. Well, and about the Kryptonian pronunciations, um, I'm hoping that we will see some uh, or hear some Kryptonian or Kryptonese, and I do think that in Candor they say Kryptonese. But yeah, I'm hoping we'll get to hear some. That would be really cool. I think we've heard a little bit of Kryptonese before, but not in a real established way. So it'd be cool, like, if we get to see Kara with her mother, Allura, hopefully we'll maybe get to hear them interact in some sort of Kryptonese dialogue. That would be awesome. That would be a great opportunity for this show to kind of establish that. Yeah. Of course, then we'll have to read a little subtitles but i'm cool with that i'm cool with subtitles it'd be a nice excuse to pronounce it cara yes (laughs) (laughs) so i'm I'm looking forward to the trailer now to see how they pronounce her name well let's get into this week's discussion of supergirl candor the description from dccomics.com says quote the saga of kara zor-el deepens in this volume collecting supergirl number six through nine superman batman number 27 Superman number 223, and JLA number 122 through 123. Following the earth-shattering events of Infinite Crisis, Kara finds herself trapped in the Kryptonian city of Kandor. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And, um, yeah, and we're, just to be clear for our, uh, our listeners, we are only going to talk about the Supergirl issues, uh, not the Superman, Batman, or uh, the JLA, or anything like that. Because we want to focus on our girl, Kara. Um, but uh, huh, I definitely have opinions about this whole Candor, Candor story. Um, but I'll, I'll t- 
take it to you, you two first, uh, as, and we'll start with our guest, Ian. Um, what did you think about the characterization of Kara in this story? Well, the first time I read this story, I was very underwhelmed with it um, for a variety of reasons that I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. But um, the second time I read it, I feel like the back of the trade paperback, the back of the trade paperback, really says it all with, with the title, The Lost Daughter of Krypton. I mm-hmm. think that's a fantastic description of the story. And um, even, even though I feel like some of the story is sort of, it sort of goes, it, it follows some tropes that I'm not a big fan of, like the being brainwashed into um, a princess and saying, oh, my queen, or there was something like that, or mm-hmm. my, my child or something. It's like, why do they always have to talk like that when they're brainwashed? <laughs> but besides, even though it sort of took that route with it, um, this Kara in this story is, um, it's sort of like the, the epitome of why I find her so interesting as a character, because there are so many things going on with her all at the same time that make her very much a three-dimensional character and um, even though there are so many great comic book characters out there the so many there so many comic book characters can sort of be painted with with broad strokes as to who they are and Kara is dealing with so much in the story she doesn't like earth so she's running away from that in Kandor and she's trying to find um, her home of, of Argo and she's also, she's losing, even though she's with Kryptonians, she's losing focus as to who she is. It's like when you're in a situation, when you're a fish out of water, you can start to forget who you are. And Kara is dealing with that in this story. And I, I thought there were so many layers here that were just fascinating to read. I have to say, while, while I wasn't crazy about a lot of the story elements uh, in these issues, uh, I agree with you that the character of Kara herself is really intriguing at this moment because she's she's kind of doing what all, you know, teenagers and young adults do, which is, you know, kind of pushing her limits, you know, testing the world, testing herself and like flying off the handle. Um, You know, by the time we get to issue nine, she's like, you know, going out clubbing and like (laughs) trying smoking and like all this stuff that we're kind of surprising to see from a character like Supergirl, but, you know, there's no reason why she shouldn't go through stuff like that. And I thought that was, that was probably the most interesting part of this whole business. And, and it could have been handled in a much poorer way. Like, I'm the rebellious teenager doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but it, there was, it was written in a very human way, I thought. And it's also sort of interesting seeing her out of her, out of her um, prime. I don't know if that's an expression, but she's... She, she doesn't have her full power when she's in the city, and it's sort of like a very nightmarish situation for her. And it adds all sorts of fun layers. I did like in this story, even though I'm not crazy about this book, <laughs> I did enjoy... Uh, she has an internal struggle about whether or not to kill. And there's something really interesting about that, because I think Kara is a character who's like, Hey, we've got all these powers. We can we can just get rid of all these bad guys doing bad things and then they won't do the bad things anymore. Let's just get rid of them. And there's something in her that kind of struggles with that and I think that's really 
refreshing in some ways because Superman is very, I will try not to kill as much as possible. And Kara's like, well, I don't know. There there might be a point to that. So I, I thought her, especially with like the flashbacks and the visions she was having in Kandor, I thought were really pretty interesting. Yeah, and, and, and it's like, what what's what's real she's she can't kill like she inside is struggling with killing but then you have the villain telling her not to kill and to face her demons Mm. and and it and then there's the whole her her relationship with the fake kal-el ultraman um like the whole kissing cousin situation there's a lot of messed Messed up I keep going back and forth on in my head as to whether or not I liked it. But um, the fact that a lot of Kara's journey in the story has to do with other people telling her what to think. Because, hmm. um, I mean, she, a, a lot of the time she's, you know, brainwashed or she's dealing with memories of her father telling her to kill Kalel. And on the one hand, I mean, we're all kind of struggling against people telling us what to do and how to think and who to be until we figure out ourselves, right? But on the other hand, it didn't, it took a lot of her agency away too. And it was like, you know, most of the story was kind of happening to her because of that. Mm, um, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure how I feel about that. But what do you guys think? I, I think in the end, she makes the decision of, of what to do. And I never felt like even when I was underwhelmed the first time reading it, I never felt like like she was out of control of anything. I, I felt like I was with her while she was thinking about things and other people were sort of, as people are wont to do, you know, telling me their points of view. And But I, I never felt like I was watching um, so many other or reading so many other superhero stories where where a character is just um, reacting to the world around them. I felt like I was with Kara the whole time. I sort of had a little bit of a different experience reading this book because for me, I felt more connected to Karen, mm-hmm. uh, pa- uh, mm. Power Girl. I, I think because the way the book is structured, I, I think... I don't know who put this book together, but I don't think they did it the right way, to be honest, because (laughs) a lot of the issues that aren't the Supergirl issues are about Power Girl and about kind of what she's going through and her relationship to Superman. And even when we get to Kandor, we see some of her, and I know we'll talk about her relationship with Kara, but I felt more connected to Power Girl in this book than Supergirl. And I, I was a little disappointed because as much as... You know, superficially, I love one of uh, Kara's outfits that I was like, ooh, that would be a great thing to cosplay at Dragon Con. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this, like, jacket, uh, leather pant combo that she's got on, this, like, blue shirt with the, the red stripe down yes. the center. I was it like, does look cute. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that one year at Dragon Con. Um, get a blonde wig. I could do it. Uh, but superficially, I liked that. But as much as trying to connect with Kara as a character I I really struggled with that in this book because every time Power Girl would come up on the page I'd be like oh I'm into this which is very weird because I didn't like Power Girl previous to this book I was like okay I want more of Power Girl but when Kara would come on the page 
I was like, oh, this is offensive. Like every time she would come up, I'd be like, that's offensive. That's offensive. This is offensive. Like that, that you, Ian, you mentioned the, uh, the kissing cousins thing. There's this whole, yeah. there's this whole big image of her like sitting on his lap. On his lap and he's and, got his hand on her yeah, butt. Yes, so offensive. I'm like, oh God, stop it, no. So <laughs> like that kind of stuff took me out of the book and took me away from connecting to Kara, I think. Because even there, there was some stuff where it was kind of fun to see her rebellious where she was smoking, which I don't know if that would affect Kryptonians. I don't know how that works. But uh, they kept <laughs> mentioning... Well, they, she said she quit like as soon as she started. Like she uh, smoked, she was like, right. I quit, I just quit smoking. Unless that was, wait, no, was that the guy? Was that a Boomer? Um, I forget. It, it was Boomerang's son, so Boomerang 2, I think. Yeah, that as. makes sense. Well, oh, like, yeah, it's disgusting. I just quit smoking. She says that. She's like, I started smoking. You like it? It's disgusting. I just quit smoking. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if that kind of stuff affects her. And, like, when she was in that rebellious stage, she there was a lot of talk about her S in replace. Oh, yeah, I hated I Her hated backside. That. And I was like, okay, you guys have got to stop this. Yeah, I, like, that, that whole last story, there are some really, really great parts, but it's like mired down in this like lame date talk yeah. and they, they don't they don't do the same thing as much with male characters yeah it was it was kind of creepy i mean it's <laughs> what <laughs> what i thought was uh was interesting though about because I'm, I'm actually flipping through the uh that last issue nine the lost daughter of krypton again just because I'm like, oh my god, it, her outfit really is awesomely '80s looking. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like because uh, he brings up the fact that like you know you don't talk like a 16 year old, and I think mm. that's a lot of. Um, I thought it was really interesting because a lot of teenage girls, you know, in the interest of like, you know, they're trying too hard, pretty much, right? Like they're like they're the girls who get the fake IDs and go to bars and go to clubs and try to be older than they are and have a different level of maturity than another 16-year-old who might be super uncomfortable and awkward and weird doing that. And I thought it was interesting that we see a version of uh, 16-year-old Kara or, you know, how yeah, 16-year-old Kara taking that on and, and being like, yeah, I'm 16, but I'm not a childish, like goofy awkward 16 because <laughs> yeah. not not all 16 year olds are created equal and i did find that interesting even though i could have done without the nice s talk yeah and that's actually very different from the previous caras that we've talked about on the podcast we've seen you know little girl lost and even the Kara on smallville had a little bit of naivete and especially in supergirl the movie so i think this is a very kind of different portrayal of her in terms of how much confidence she had and how much she was willing to interact with other people and kind of felt like she knew what she wanted out of life. So that's, that's very different. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring up the word confidence cause I was thinking about that and you know, uh, cause yes, she's young and yes, she's not experienced, you know, when she's on earth and, and kind of, she's still figuring out like what to do with her powers, what to do with herself. But there is a certain level of confidence, I think, that would come with being that strong. <laughs> sure. You know, like, you know, I have laser vision. Yeah, you can't F with me, you know? Like, right. I will, I will, I can kill you. I won't, but I can. And so as, as young as she is, 
there is a certain level of swagger that comes with powers. <laughs> swagger is a good word because I think that's a great way to describe her in that story, which that that issue I felt really disconnected with because I was like, OK, we're in Candor, but now we're in some bar. So I don't really understand that. Yeah. But I think the 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 best way to describe it, Teresa, I think is perfect that she did have a swagger to her. It was almost like you were talking about uh Having, having a confidence of being like for a woman to go into a bar by herself and to mm-hmm. play pool or whatever, you know, and, and uh, smoke with the guys or whatever. That's, that does take a, a certain amount of swagger to be able to do that and not have any fear of any kind of consequence that might come with being in that situation. So there, I, I like swagger to describe her there. I mean, and she starts the book with swagger, too. I mean, her first our first glimpse of her, she's getting a tattoo. Like, <laughs> so even, you know, at the top of the story, she's like, you know, getting this holy symbol on her back. Which, could anybody translate that? Because I could not translate it. Nope. No. It was hard for me to distinguish individual letters in that design. I couldn't really. It made no sense to me. And I kind of thought, oh, well, that sort of goes with the rest of the book not making any sense. But, yeah, but yeah, I, all I got was like E F P O N E. That's what I got out of trying to translate it, which makes no sense. So I just wondered e- if anybody else had. No, E F P O N E. So maybe it's like an acronym for something religious, like um, eternal flying. Uh, uh, what are the other letters? <laughs> Let's make this up. P O N E. P O N E. And this could totally not be right, by the way. No, I, I have no idea. I'm, uh, maybe we could throw that to the listeners. Like, make up what her holy tattoo says. Right, because it was a religious symbol, apparently. It was a religious symbol. and it was, But it was a hybrid religious symbol. Like, apparently it wasn't the true religion. Like, there was something... It was kind of... Uh, not a... Um, like, it was a... What did he say? Yeah, it says, figured a religious girl like you, you'd actually want the actual one, not this hybrid. Oh, yeah. So um, whatever religious symbol she had was like her sticking her her nose and her tongue out at the man or whatever. (laughs) But um, I like that. Anyway, um, actually, I did want to go into uh, Kara and Karen because... You know, I've actually never, I mean, this is my first pretty much introduction to Power Girl, really, um, because I haven't read any of her uh, solo issues or anything like that. And what I was happiest about was that this kind of, you know, even though I wasn't crazy about the story again, what I liked was that this kind of passes the Bechdel test. Um, Oh, yeah. Because there's a, a lot of, you know, Supergirl and Power Girl talking about, you know, the revolution, talking about, you know, their plan, talking about... You know, and it's not bogged down in in talk of boys <laughs> or right, whatever. Right. Like, they've got stuff to do. I, I loved how Karen was the mentor. Um, she, I mean, she was technically around earlier, right? Because she, she's, she's like, is she the Golden Age Supergirl or? I don't know for sure. I know she was part of the Justice Society, correct? Or like mm-hmm. she's, she's on a different Earth, Earth team, yeah. maybe? That's and all. That's all I know about. Yeah, I think she, she's just an alternate universe um, Supergirl. Although right. I could be getting that totally wrong. <laughs> and, and, and she lost her entire universe in Crisis on Infinite Earths, I right. think. And so she's dealing with what 
care is dealing with, but um, a lot, a lot worse. And I, I felt like she was a great mentor. And then in the aftermath of that on the Statue of Liberty, um, I don't know how they got out, <laughs> but when she's saying, whoa, how do we get out? Even though I'm asking the same question, she's more thinking along the lines of, uh, why did you do this, Kara? Why, like, we still had more to do. And um, even though you could sort of argue that, well, Kara needs to do what she needs to do and doesn't have to... Well, I guess a better way of putting it is you could argue that Karen is sort of guilting Supergirl, but I still thought it was a very interesting role for her, just sort of being the mentor and 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 helping her think about um, the bigger picture of things, and she could sort of take it or leave it if she wanted to, whether, you know, think about whether Karen was right or wrong, but I thought that was really interesting. And I also thought it was interesting in the earlier story... I don't rem- well. I don't remember if it was in the earlier story or just at the beginning of the Candor story, but she they sort of like try to justify the like the big like cleavage thing. That's oh yeah, yeah. Going on yes. with Power Girl. Explaining why her costume is the way it is. Yeah, and I, I that's always a really interesting thing in comics when they try to justify past wrongdoings or try to give a reason for things in general. Um, but yeah. so I, I was sort of like, well, that was a good try. <laughs> yeah. just they, at least, at least they did try. Yeah. I can buy it to an extent where she talks about, well, I left an opening so that if I wanted to put something there, I could. And I'm like, well, you need to try a little harder apparently because you still don't have anything there. So oh my God. yeah, they, they try. It's funny, I am a little off topic, but um, I don't know if you two are uh, watching the anime or if you're familiar with Kill la Kill, Um, but it's a a really awesome anime, and in it, there is a girl with a, a school girl with a magical school uniform that it talks to her, it's sentient, and it gives her fighting powers, but when she uses it to fight it transforms and it becomes the skimpy the skimpiest of the skimpy things you've ever seen like it's basically like she has this elastic around her boobs and like a little skirt it's crazy um but they acknowledge that like they're first of all the character hates it (laughs) and she's like i hate she's like i look like you know i'm walking around mostly naked what the heck is wrong with you people blah 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 and um you know so they they kind of they do that they use the trope but then they kind of acknowledge it and wink at it and it's become a part of her character and so now it's like haha she's in this outfit that she hates um <laughs> which makes it you know <laughs> makes it more palatable certainly right. but um but i think it's important that they you know because obviously we've seen these costumes for a long time and it's like either you get rid of them or if you're going to use them kind of acknowledge that they're stupid <laughs> and, and I, I guess the real question is at the end of the day um, what do the fans think about when they think of the costume? So maybe that can sort of help discourse change when people think of Power Girl. I yeah. think the acknowledgement of her costume actually made me like her a little more because my whole thing about resisting Power Girl was her costume. So when mm. that got acknowledged, and I think that's why I w- liked her so much in this story, even though a lot of it was because of her snarky dialogue where she talked about time travel and clue and all of that but yeah, that uh, but yeah. but I think acknowledging the costume really really helped and I also thought it was interesting in the early story with um, 
Jimmy Olsen, who, quick tangent, now whenever I think of Jimmy Olsen, I think of what Teresa said in one of the early podcasts, Grown Man, James yeah. Olsen. Oh, yeah. James the Grown Man, James the Grown Man Olsen, yeah. And I think of that every single time now. Um, That's awesome. And actually, uh, in the Bizarro Girl story, he zooms up on a motorcycle, and for a second I was like, is that Guy Gardner? What? Who is that? And then like, Grown man, James Olsen. <laughs> but, but anyway, I thought it was interesting when, um, like, um, it, it's like, oh, they, they, always, they always take a quick peek down, and, and Jimmy eventually does that. But then Jimmy turns out to be a figment of her imagination. I thought that was a really interesting... Yeah, that that was a little strange. That wasn't uh, in the Supergirl issues, right? I think it was in something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, that was like the early but, but yeah, that was really interesting because it was it was set up to to be what I thought was a hallucination. So yeah, that was very strange. I guess that was sort of her consciousness or whatever playing mind games with her. But Ian, I liked what you said about Karen actually being a mentor for Kara because yeah. I liked that they sort of had a balance uh, in the story, and I thought the scenes with them, the panels with them were the best because they were able to work together and they uh, paired up to be part of this resistance movement. Movement, And somebody even actually says, you know, you represent freedom and equality to these people. And I thought they were at their best in the story when they were Flame Bird and Nightwing. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, and one of my I favorite, agree. one of my favorite panels in the whole comic was... Um, Karen saying to Kara, well, if you think that there's a key to Argo here somewhere, I'll help you when this is all done. And then it's just the two of them facing yeah. Wild City of Candor. That was, that was a fantastic drawing. Yeah, agreed. And actually, it's like you, you know, you couldn't have a Kara like this without Power Girl to balance her. And right. I think that it, that's probably why they added her is because if you're going to have Kara go this dark, you need to have somebody there who knows what she's going through to remind her, hey, heroism, you know, not killing people. That's a <laughs> right. good thing. Um, you know, you might want to reconsider wanting to, you know, s- scorch everybody with your heat vision. It's a, it's a whole thing. So, yeah. um, so I like that they, they use the character to allow Kara to kind of go through this mess. And honestly, I think Power Girl being there kind of helped me... Um, because like I think I might have thought less of Kara had Power Girl not been there. But since Power Girl was there to kind of rein her in and talk sense into her, it was kind of like, okay, she has a good influence in her life, so she's not going to go completely off the rails. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I actually think that Power Girl had a lot of faith in Kara because when when Karen was imprisoned in their dungeon or whatever that was, she was sort of talking trash to the people who were holding her there because I think she always knew Kara would snap out of it. She was like, oh, there's trouble in paradise, you know, <laughs> snarking with them. So I, I like that she yeah. she knew that something would happen to bring Kara back into the hero mode. So I like that a lot. And didn't Kara end up waking herself up in the end? I think so. Yeah, so, so that, that makes the mentor thing okay for me. Well, now, I actually, you know, was intrigued by the setting. Um, I had never seen Candor before. Um, what did you two think about the planet of Candor and the setup, the, uh, you know, religious, the seeming religious takeover, the other aliens? Uh, what were your thoughts on that? 
I, I thought that it was, I mean, in a way, it was sort of obvious because a ton of sci-fi things do that all the time, but it's a great gateway into thinking about society when they use the, the caste system and then the, the, the religious stuff. And, and the art really brought so many things out so well. The, 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 the rainy atmosphere, the imagery of the people around Kal-El, um, uh, I, I thought the even including the the caste system and the propaganda, like how everybody has a has a place in this society, I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I feel like the art brought out a lot of stuff. Although when I was doing some research, because I was incredibly confused as to what was going on, <laughs> um, on a I think it was on a DC Universe wiki page about it. They mentioned how later it turns out that that wasn't even really candor. Like, that was just, like, a mental projection. Oh. So would that that have had to do with, like, Power Girl's hallucination? I don't know if that's that's connected. That's interesting. There was some discussion in the issues about, like, this isn't even really candor. And I was confused by that because I was like, what? And, of course, I wasn't smart in doing research (laughs) the way Ian was. Um, I was just confused. Um, but like I knew that it wasn't it wasn't actually Candor, but it was enough that they thought they were there um, to get the character stuff across. Like I was like I I kind of set it to the side and was like I don't even care where this is because clearly they think there's a problem, um, and that's all I really need to know for right now. Yeah, but what was it actually? It was projection of what now? <laughs> Um, some sort of mental projection. I'm guessing from the that villain character Eve, I think her name was, and I couldn't figure out which Eve that was supposed to be. Um, oh, but the one is fake Kal-El's mom. Yeah, and and if it was her projection, it's really interesting. Like, uh, what was being fought for on either side? Um, it, retcons are fun. Yeah, I think we're missing a lot <laughs> of story. Like, I, I would have really liked to have spent time in this mental projection uh, candor, but I don't, I don't think I, I, I didn't get a chance to hang out there enough and know the story enough to really enjoy it. So I wish, I wish they had done more of the issues. Maybe instead of including the issues where Superman and Batman get their minds put into Power Girl and Huntress's bodies, which, by the way, I totally would have read a lot of stories about that. Yeah. <laughs> that deserves its own line. Yeah, because that was actually pretty fun. But instead of maybe including that issue in this book, maybe another issue would have been nice to have spent some time in Candor or wherever this was. Because yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Ian. I, I think the art did a really good job of setting the tone of where they were with all the, the rain and kind of it felt grimy. It felt gross and like a like a really, really nasty big city. And uh, and even with the religious stuff and the propaganda that you, you were talking about, I, I, I thought it was interesting that they have big screens where people can announce big things like in Times Square. Like it felt, it felt real to me, yeah. even if like, <laughs> if it wasn't real to them in the story, it felt real to me that there would, uh, there was actually even when I was translating some of the Kryptonese that actually made sense, there was a sign that said Superman the movie on one of them. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> so, I, so I guess in this, in this candor, 
they're showing Superman the movie in one of the theaters. So it did sort of feel awesome. <laughs> feel very real in a sense. So I, I did like that about this story. Only only a, only an evil fake projection of Candor would would enjoy the Salkind Superman movies. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Well, only well, Superman three and four. Well, no, four wasn't. I was gonna say, I'm like, if you're showing three or four, mm. um, yeah. But one of the things that I loved about it was because uh, whenever I'm watching any sci-fi anything, um, I like when they take the time to have more than one type of species or being on the planet. Because, like, yeah. for example, in Star Trek, it's like the Romulans come from Romulus, and it's like, well, it's just it's just Romulans, like. Are there different types of Romulans? Like what, you know, and I'm sure there are. And, and now all the Trekkies are going to send me all their information about the different kinds of Romulans. But um, point is, like, they have the true Kryptonians. And then they also have uh, the other aliens that are living there as well as second class citizens, but still. And I just like when that, that level of attention is paid to places where, you know, because, you know, you say human, and what does that mean? There's, you know, different cultures. There's different types of people who speak different mm. languages. And so, you know, you go to Krypton, it's like, it's just Kryptonians, you know? And it's like, but I'm sure there are other types of, of beings there. Uh, I really like the part when um, e- either Kara or Karen says, you're not aliens. You're, you're um, also either all, you're also the true children, or you're also Kryptonians. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Kara, when she gets the tattoo from what's his face, uh, I forget what the character's name is. Starts with the C. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But he didn't seem Kryptonian like they would have been. He seemed like another uh, species or race of people in Kandor, and I liked that Kara. Um, sort of respected him a little bit but and then when he gets murdered by the Ultraman fake Kal-El it's kind of a heartbreaking thing because I don't think he was really in the fight like they were in the resistance he was just giving people tattoos yeah he just wanted to live his life yeah so that I I like that they put him in there to kind of represent sort of an everyman as it were he had a great line too um your your uh your L ship (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And, oh, and his like, name was, it was Chezd. Chezd, that's right. That's right. It was like C-H-E-Z-Z-T. <laughs> um, and also uh, with the two Star I think there were two Star Wars references in there. Um, yes. I definitely got the vibe that, that, that somebody involved with the creative team appreciated Star Wars with all the detail <laughs> and aliens. Like the original trilogy, how everything's dirty and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the the nerf herderers. Yeah. Yes, I saw that. I was like, oh god, who who was the Star Wars uh, fan that snuck that one in? And and actually, Chest sort of might have lived in the Star Wars world in the Star yeah. Wars universe. He sort of looked like one of those those creatures. So yeah, I think somebody was a fan. <laughs> so now let's talk pros and cons with this uh, this particular story arc. Um, let's start with the positives. Uh, what did we like the most about Candor? I liked just how much it, in, um, this is not meant to be a pun, but how much it um, encapsulated Kara. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, but I, I, I <laughs> just, um, so much of what interests me about Kara 
um, is really present in this story because you can't just sort of read this story and then sort of move on and think that was a cool story. I mean, maybe that's what comics should be, but this this one you you really have to um, like break it down and critically analyze it. And um, Kara is written in a very very human way. I thought that was cool and. There are a lot of really great lines. I have a whole list of quotes um, that really bring out the story, like when the, when the, that group of aliens is trying to um, hurt Kara because they don't know who she is and everything, and they think that she's one of the jerks from the upper um, caste <laughs> level. Um, they're, they're like, oh, well, she exists. That's good enough for her to, to put you and me and our families in the camps. I thought that was awesome. Um, oh, and... Uh, Ultraman was legitimately horrifying and like not just the yeah. art with like that wicked smile on Superman yeah. but um, he would say things like I'm going to burn everything except that holy symbol and I'm going to eat it yeah that's gross he was and, horrible <laughs> um, and oh and also it was really funny later when he was like Owlman's been messing with my medicine again <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> and uh, that when they're having a military meeting, Kara says, or I think it, it's Kara, it might have been Kara, and they say to the alien leader, like, oh, you're, you're a glass half full of blood kind of guy, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and, and then the, the relationship in general in this story between the images and the pictures, the, the, the images and the writing um, came together really well to bring out the different themes and I really liked near the end of the story whenever there was a, a big sort of eureka moment for Kara there was just like a red page um, mm. and so she would say something like um, okay you know what you two really messed up and then there's like a red page or her saying that uh, and, and her at the end saying oh I'm so over this and it's like yeah Supergirl's back again and <laughs> Um, and there, there was a great uh, play, um, page with Karen and Kara. Like, are they yelling for Candor? Like the two of them at the very end when they're back. Um, I'm flipping through. Oh no, there's no words at all. It's just the two of them attacking Ultraman, and he's shooting his eyes at them, and they're just deflecting it. Yeah. That, that was fantastic. Yeah, um, that's a cool page. So, I, I guess to sum it up, the things I really liked, it really encapsulates what makes Kara interesting to me, despite its, its flaws, and the art and the words come together really well, and there are some, some uh, fun lines backing it up, dramatic and comedic. Yeah, for me, I really liked the Power Girl-Supergirl dynamic in this, because Previously, when I've kind of thought about them, I've thought of them as antagonists, or I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, I, I would think about them in terms of them going up against each other. Rivals. And, uh, rivals. That's a good, that's actually the right word for that, not antagonists. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's kind of how I pictured them, was that, oh, they, they are vying for the same position as Superman's cousin. And so I liked it here in this story that they were almost teammates. They were fighting for the same cause and going up against the same bad guy and trying to do what they could to help other people. And I, I really liked that. I actually really liked um, 
that relationship as well. And um, really, uh, my general kind of positive uh, comment about this was that the characters were all handled in a, in a great and interesting way. I, I thought they handled Kara in a really interesting way as far as her, um, you know, kind of getting to be a bad girl for a little while. Um, you know, and then Power Girl there to balance her out. I thought um, Ultraman was horrible, but in a great way. Um, yeah. Like, just, I mean, uh, and it was so creepy when they're about to get married. And he's like, why wait for the wedding? That's just a formality for my mom. We could totally do it right now anyway. And he says something um, about just, how I don't want to break you on the wedding night. And I was like, oh, oh gross, yeah, gross, 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 gross. Yeah, it was gross. So, I, <laughs> it's true. I was like, skin crawling, No. Um, but that was cool. Like you, you know, if you want a, a villain, I mean, that that's yeah. about as villainous as you can get is is this guy. Um, but now to kind of get into the not so great things or the things that I thought could be improved. I mean, the story was kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, as a new reader, um, I these were the first issues of Supergirl's title that I picked up. So for me, oh, wow. going through going through the first four only to get here and to not know where the heck I am or what's going on or how this happened. I was like, I, I, you know, I mean, I read it for this podcast, but had I just been reading it for fun, I might've given up. Right. Um, because I was like, I have no, no clue who any of these people are, why this is happening. And they, they kind of uh, like with the mention of this, not being the actual candor, I kind of picked that up from context, you know? Um, but there are certain other things that required looking up that, you know, I kind of had to ask other people what's going on. And, um, I really think that comics in general should, uh, you know, reconsider, you know, how they present stuff from canon because, you know, new readers are coming in all the time. And as comics get older and older, you know, I can't go back however many issues all the time to find out where this is coming from. Um, and I can't read all the titles, you know, I can't, you know, if, if something happens in a Power Girl issue that I missed, that shouldn't detract from my enjoyment of, of this story. Right. So and they that was my negative. They referenced Infinite Crisis. Like, yeah. Well, what and if I'm you like, didn't know what Infinite Crisis was? <laughs> You'd be in trouble. If it wasn't for your podcast, when she's when she mentions the Black Kryptonite, I would have no idea what she was talking about because yep. I read that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was my big negative was that the, the story kind of, uh, it relied too much on prior knowledge of things, mm-hmm. um, which is great for super fans, but not great for someone who's just coming to this for the first time. Yeah. Reading comics is a very interesting experience. Trade paperbacks should be able to help with that a little bit. And this one didn't do that as far as like, they, they didn't include any other stories about how how this situation came about. Um, although I appreciated the extra insight on Power Girl, it, it was still very confusing. And comics walk a fine line with introducing, um, like bringing new readers up to speed as well as making it continue to be interesting for the readers who are um, continuing to follow them. Yeah, I would echo that I, I thought this this book was a jumbled mess. And <laughs> there is. Sadly, there were things that were in the book that I was like, oh, I can't, like, while I was reading it, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get there and see what they do there, because Donna Troy, who's one of my favorite characters, shows up, 
and she like recruits Red Tornado and Supergirl to go up on some space mission. And I was like, oh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> ooh, this is gonna be good. I can't wait to see what they do in space with Donna Troy. This is gonna be fun. And then she's never mentioned again. You'd never see Donna Troy for the rest of the book. And I was like, what? Like the whole, like it felt like when I was reading the book the whole time, I was like, what? What? <laughs> like the, the whole time. And they even had like Green Arrow in there for a little while. And that that would have been really fun. But and the Legion of Superheroes show up with Power Girl and Jimmy Olsen. So there were a lot of things that were dropped that I thought could have been really fun to see. But then we get this kind of other jumbled story in Candor. So I thought it was very confusing. And I, I agree with you, Teresa, that I think they should have tried to make it easier for people to read and yeah. not whatever this was. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, there was another good moment with Supergirl in the story where the Fortress of Solitude is in South America. Right. And she's like, well, I like people a lot. Um, but that, that, that kind of plays into her candor situation um with like all the different conflicts that she's going through yeah so that was that was an interesting moment. yeah cause she and superman talk about whether or not it's okay to kill bad guys that too i guess that's the bigger part <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that was another part of the book where i was like oh i like this i, I would like to see more of this and then you didn't and i was yeah. curious as to why you guys thought it was titled Candor with a C. I've always thought that Candor was spelled with a K, so I was curious as to why it was with a C. I well, mean, I... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Teresa. No, I, I mean, I would have assumed that it's kind of a play on, you know, candor as in, you know, honesty and being yeah. forthright. Ah, uh, gotcha. um, You know, this is a time when is, is kind of you know, trying to figure out what's, you know, how to be her true self. Gotcha. Um, so I thought it was kind of a play on that. That makes me like it a little better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I first was thinking about that, on where the honesty fit into it, I don't know uh, exactly what they were. I, it took me, it took me a while to sort of arrive at that. I was sort of like, uh, I, I wasn't sure where they were placing. I, I just thought it was sort of an easy title, but I think that there's a lot of interesting applications for it. Any final thoughts on um, what you guys took away from the book? It's just really interesting connecting the dots in the land of comics. <laughs> <laughs> My final thought is that I hope with the CBS show, we maybe get to see Candor. I think that would be a really, really cool thing to explore on the series and I hope Power Girl shows up now I was kind of not wanting to see her and now I kind of do so that was my big takeaway was I kind of like Power Girl now and well one other thing I just thought of uh, I really like the panel where Ultraman goes bink against the side <laughs> of Kandor and that sort of like sums up the conflict of the whole story like all of this is eating Kara up inside uh. Uh, um, but it's just because She's out of her element and confused, and once she finds home, she won't be, she'll remember who she is. I like that. Well, that's uh, just about it for our candor discussion. Um, thank you both so much, and thank you, Ian, for, for joining us for this conversation. Um, thank you for, for having me. Um, I'm, I'm just honored to be here. Yay. So glad to have you. Um, and now, 
now is the time, as always, for some listener feedback. Um, and we got an email from Annika, who is one of our favorite fans and listeners, um, who writes in this week with this question. Why do comic characters have to always have different versions of themselves? I mean, why can't they just have one version and everyone stick with that? And I know for a new comics reader, that might, <laughs> that's a very valid question. Like, why are there so many different versions? And, you know, we've talked a lot about the different versions of Kara Zor-El, you know, on this podcast. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's your op- opinion, uh, Ian, as far as why there are so many different versions of a character like Kara? Well, first of all, I love that there's lots of different versions. I hope someday we're going to be able to go to the movies and have ten different options of which version of Spider-Man we want to watch. <laughs> we might get there. I think that would be fantastic. I think it's a natural thing for a creator to do. I mean, if you do your own version of something, then you're not bogged down by all, by everything that has come before that, especially with you know 70 years of continuity. Um, but I... I like having different options available. Like, I wouldn't have a problem with the New 52 if we still had the other universe as well. Um, Because a great thing about comics, especially, is that you can can grow with one set of characters over a very extended period of time if, if the writers keep pushing themselves. And when you just sort of erase all of that, I, I feel like that's, that's a, a very, very poor choice. But, um, but I, I like having many, many different options. I, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I actually, when uh, we got this question, I immediately thought about Lois Lane. <laughs> because, uh, because I love Lois Lane. And uh-huh. <laughs> I was thinking about how for a long time, like even David Goyer talked about this when he was interviewed about Man of Steel. He was he said, you know, when he went to DC Comics and said, you know, I want Lois to be in on the secret. I don't want to have to have any kind of triangle for two. And they were like, um, but you kind of need to do that because that's the way it's always been. And David Goyer was like, screw that. She's supposed to be this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. She should be able to figure it out. And that's a gr- that's a great take on the character because she shouldn't be duped. She should be very smart to be able to figure that out. And so if there was not a chance for him to be creative like that and have his own version of the character, then we wouldn't have gotten a smart Lois Lane who never was played for a fool. And so I appreciate that. So I think there is something to what Ian was saying about how, about how having different versions of a character can help the creative process and can help the characters grow over time and kind of go with, because I mean, if you looked at Superman in some of those Silver Age comics, he is a real jerk. (laughs) So so if you had to deal with that (laughs) Superman all the time, I don't think people now would like him. So I think it's good to have different versions to keep up with the times. And and also, it helps the audience grow, Mm. too. Because we we all know that story of, of, of Lois not knowing who Clark really is. And we were, and we would just be sitting there watching. Um, yes, I like this. I'm familiar with this, and and I know what's going to happen. But uh, and, and, but then you wouldn't really get to go much beyond that because then it would be rebooted, and then you would do it all over again. Right. And this and that decision on David Goyer's part, I think, was was um, very a very good decision because 
it just gets all that out of the way and we can we can grow as an audience i think there is something to it maybe with like batman like we all know his story his parents get murdered you know most every comic will start or movies now or even on gotham like we see that that's a thing that always happens in his story his origin is always based on his parents getting murdered and I think there is something familiar and comforting about that because we know, okay, this is his starting point. I don't need to know anything else besides this. So mm -hmm. I, I guess there is something nice about that, but it's nice to have something new to add to that. Well, yeah, and also, like, because uh, I'm a writer and I like writing, uh, you know, I, I make things up for a living, or at least I'm trying to. And um, I... You know, there's something to be said for what the writer has to offer and what the writer wants to say. Um, you know, a character isn't just the character. It's a way for an artist or a writer to express themselves. Yeah. Um, so being able to put my voice into a character like Supergirl or like Wonder Woman or like, you know, any other character that I might take on, uh, it gives me a chance to say certain things and to... Uh, express certain points of view that are my own you know so it's like every time you know you, have, you can have different people wear the same outfit but they'll try different accessories they'll style it differently they'll wear a hat they'll wear chunky jewelry they'll you know whatever um so you'll have the same outfit look totally different on two different people so that's kind of how i see different versions of different characters it's like okay it's the same outfit but let's try it earrings instead of you know a necklace. <laughs> That's a good point. That's I'm a writer. That's why I come up with crappy analogies like that. <laughs> no, it's very, very valid. Well, I think we could spend a whole podcast just talking about that. Because yes. that, uh, that... Is very, but we're not gonna. <laughs> but, but that's a that's a very big topic for comics, especially because th we have had so many decades of comics and storytelling and characterizations. So that's a great question. Well, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail .com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash supergirlradio. And you can follow us on Twitter at Supergirl Radio. And check out our exclusive pictures over on Instagram.com slash Supergirl Radio. And we are part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, and The Flash, subscribe to our DC TV Podcast Mega Feed. And follow at DC TV Podcast on Twitter. And like DC TV Podcast on Facebook. Yay! We love our DC TV Podcast family. Great podcast. Now, Ian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me primarily on my Twitter at Ian underscore Boucher. It's spelled like the water boy, B-O-U-C-H-E-R. Um, and I'll, I talk about uh, comics all the time. I talk about movies. And if you'd want to reach out on my Twitter, I just love talking about comics and talk about this stuff all, all day, whether um, the crazy hypothetical fun situations to the more serious dramatic elements and how it affects us as a culture i'm very interested in both so feel free to reach out anytime and i'm a like well i'm almost a full-fledged librarian so i um i do a lot of library talk there as well and it's also a good place to stay updated because right now normally i keep up with writing a decent amount of articles online primarily through sequart.org that's s-e-q-u-a-r-t.org they have a lot of great articles about 
progressing our understandings of comics as a medium. Um, but uh, primarily right now I'm focused on a, a, an anthology book um, that is being published through Seacourt, and Rebecca is one of the contributors. It's about, <laughs> oh, yay! It's about superheroes and justice, comparing notions of justice in comics, superhero comics, with uh, justice in the real world, primarily in the United States, and thinking about the dichotomy between what we tell each other as a culture through our stories and what's really there in real life. And I'm so that's what I'm primarily focused on for the next few months at least. Um, I'm editing that and contributing to it. Um, so you can also, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you um, you can stay up to date on that as well for when that hits the shelves. Yeah, it should yeah. be really cool. I, I look forward to seeing what everybody else has to say. Yeah, and we got a great team of writers from, from all over the world and different points of view, and I'm hoping that it's going to be a great experience for readers. Um, as always, you can find me at the Mary Sue. Uh, that's themarysue.com. And uh, at my personal blog, the Teresa Giacino Experience. Uh, and that's at teresagiacino.wordpress.com. And as always, on Twitter. Uh, and my handle is very creative, at Teresa Giacino. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can find me there. You can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid, D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. And watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. Next week, when we'll be discussing another animated uh, project uh, in the DC universe, uh, Superman Unbound. Well, till then, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Ducino. And like Power Girl tells Supergirl, that S does not quit. <laughs> <laughs>